0: Alright, Kiss Army. You wanted the best? You got the best. Now
1: close your eyes. You're about to be podcast. We are rolling! Ladies and gentlemen,
2: we have ace fraily.
0: It's Fraley, not Freely.
2: And with that music and those weird sounds, you're listening to your podcast. Today we're going to play hooky with the Wookie, Matt Porter. Welcome to the show. Woo! What's happening, guys? Craig Cohen. Hey, hey, hey. And Andrew
3: Scambetti.
2: What happened to my
3: name? Because wasn't it like Andrew? I want to make you rock hard,
2: Scambetti. Like, how come we got rid of those names? I like. Well, hooky. that it's hard to say that to another dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but Craig Crazy Crazy Nights
3: Cohen is okay. Because I think it's all C's.
2: Well, yeah, so you've got the alliteration, so Andrew, lick it up, Scambetti. I just (laughs) just dubbed you. You Just dubbed me? All
3: right. That's okay.
2: And BJ Cramp. Hello. Hello. Hey! Hey, BJ. And today we are discussing Ace Frehley, the return of the anomaly with Space Invader. Everyone was looking forward to this, and it was kind of the good, bad, and the ugly for me. But we're going to get into that as we go around the round table and discuss the album Space Invader. Matt Porter, your overview of the album. Thumbs up, thumbs down. Thumbs up. Craig Cohen. Thumb, thumbs up. Okay. BJ. Thumb halfway in between up and down, like on an angle. Okay. <laughs> which which way's the angle? Oh, the angle. That's, that's like a 75 degree angle or something. I don't know. So if this were Hustler's uh, thing, like. Seventy-five percent erect. Half a chub. Half a chub.
4: <laughs> He's holding the gun, gangster style. Gangster.
2: <laughs> Andrew. Well, I'm going to give it a sideways thumb. Sideways Only, thumb.
3: A sideways thumb because I was really excited when they announced it. You started seeing like the cover art, and you saw that like, Ken mm-hmm. Kelly was doing the cover, so I mm-hmm. thought this was going to be something really cool, something like they were returning to form, like the '70s formula. Like he was comparing to the '78 solo album, so I got really, really excited. But it didn't live up to my expectations, so sideways thumb on it. Sideways thumb. Sideways is it thumb. is it
2: possible to go back to that 70s vibe? I mean, for for Ace to say that he's going to do the 1978 solo album vibe again is the same thing as Gene and Paul saying, this album's like Destroyer. That's, that's <laughs> basically Ace's version of this album is like Destroyer. At the same time, you can't really say something
5: like that without having... An Eddie Kramer producing you, or a Bob Ezrin in the production chair, because they were such a big part of those albums. That to say you're making the next Destroyer, you know, I understand sometimes when they say what their intent is in terms of an overall feel, but at the same time, you're setting your audience up for such a level of disappointment. Yeah, but if you listen to you listen to like uh, an album like Anomaly,
3: there's a ton of down tuning in Anomaly, and it's much heavier than what we became used to. As to what Ace was putting out, mm-hmm. when he's saying he's going to return to you you thinking, okay, he's going to return to like the kick-ass rock and roll that we're used to from him. Because remember, there's been a lot of musical style changes with Ace, especially with Anomaly. Even before then, when he did uh, Trouble Walking, it's a lot poppier than the than the other albums. And even when you got the, to the Freely's comment material, before that, it was like the Todd Howarth solo album. So you had this huge lull of not getting... Our ace freely that we became used to with the Shock Me, with the 78 so with the stuff mm-hmm. on Dynasty and Unmasked. So you, when he says return to form, I'm going, okay, he's going to go back to what he's known for, not all this experimental stuff, this down tuning or trying to put out these pop songs that he did with Todd Howard, which nothing against those. It just wasn't the ace that I loved as a kid.
2: Right. Excellent point. I think that at Ace's heart as a songwriter, he is a pop songwriter. I mean, even even his performance, I mean, his best performance are things like New York Groovin', and even the hardest rock and stuff that's he, that he's ever done, like the rest of KISS, it's it's been in the pop area, if you will. The best stuff that's on this album, Space Invader, are the stuff that sound more like, I'm gonna say, Cheap Trick, or something like that, something with more of a power-pop feel to it, than the stuff that's where he's just deliberately trying to be hard.
3: would disagree with you nobly and I would say I don't think Ace is a a pop songwriter because this is the guy that wrote Shock Me, Rocket Ride, you know he did a great cover 2000 Man and he even Mm -hmm. did stuff on Dynasty that was really heavy like hard times compared to what uh, the other stuff that was on the album.
2: But I argue that those songs even for their quote-unquote heaviness there's still hooks and melody and a lot of stuff that you associate more with the the finer pop than you do with like for example Black Sabbath you know. You can't really say Iron Man is a pop song, for example.
3: Well, yeah, but also remember too, the Kiss was never uh, a heavy metal band. I know they got lumped into that initially. Actually, if you listen to the uh, the Alice in Steel Steele 1974 uh, interview, Thunder they did. Thunder Rock. Yeah, Thunder Rock. You knew where I was going with that. So, and I, I kind of like that because for me, Kiss was never heavy metal, and they've never been heavy metal.
2: Well, that's a whole nother episode, so we'll mm-hmm. uh, we'll table that. Let's take the first track. Oh,
4: Matt Porter, you want to start this one? We've talked about this song a couple times on different episodes. I was a little worried when the album started. This song is kind of like the lyrics, like we said, it sounds like it should be the theme song to a cartoon called Space Invader. And I thought, wow, this, you know, he's going to be writing exactly... As the character in that episode of the podcast where we talked about which songs had the makeup written,
2: mm-hmm.
4: and I kind of took it in a different way. To me, I'm one of those people that's waiting for these aliens to come back and rescue us, and I kind of like the vibe. It had it reminds me of the original "Day of the Air Stood Still," you know, and uh, I'm kind of waiting for the spaceships to land. But, uh, yeah, they're probably not going to be drawn in by this song. Love the solo. I mean, the solo is the best part of the song. But, yeah, the lyrics are just like I thought, oh, no. I w- it actually worried me a little bit when I first heard it. BJ? I,
0: I like the riffs and the verse on this song, but I just don't think it has a good chorus. I think with several songs on this album, he kind of dropped the ball in the chorus. You know, cool riffs and a cool verse. Craig Cohen? In in terms of overall, my my response to this album
5: was there was a lot of really good stuff going on but more songs than not the choruses are just so uninspired or you know not incredibly catchy and when they're around some really interesting riffs and guitar work it's kind of a letdown because you know an an album that is maybe an eight could have been a a nine or or even a ten andrew
3: See, here's my thing, and this thought, it kind of encompasses the whole album a little bit. Space Invader, Into the Vortex, Shock Me, Spaceman, alright, I get it. You're the Spaceman. I, I got it. 40 years singing about the same thing. You think you can come up with something else? I mean, you know, expand on that idea. Start singing about something else, I get it, you're from outer space, Jendel, great, cool. It's been seared into my mind forever. I kind of want to hear him do something a little different.
2: Wow, that's... I, I kind of agree with that, because I think that Ace is capable of so much more. And even yeah, my, lyrically, I'm going to say that he's capable of so much more. I am favorite, surprised that he has not has never done an instrumental called Jendel, though.
3: Yeah, I mean, my mm. favorite song off of uh, Anomaly, Sister, has mm. nothing to do with Spaceman, Space, Space Invaders, Shock mm. Me, Jendel. He could write about something else. Cool. He's had the experience. We've all read the book.
5: So enough
3: with the spaceman stuff. I've had enough.
5: Well, at some but point, he writes about toys for big boys, man.
2: Yeah, we'll oh, get to oh, that. Yeah. It's it's kind of like when you'd watch movies in the 60s and uh, 70s. There'd be these TV shows, and it would be like, well, quick, go get the space gun, jump into the space car, and go to the space store. You know, it, everything had to be named space. You know what I'm talking about? And they've really. Yeah. Ba- in the really bad, cheesy sci-fi movies, you get that same thing going with some of the songwriting. I, I agree. I, I think the panel kind of agrees that as much as we enjoy or don't enjoy this, he is capable of more, and we want that from our Ace Frehley. I can't start the album with this. I, I moved <laughs> move this, move this song to later in the album. To me, my album starts with Give Me a Feelin'. I just I just can't take this song seriously. Musically, I have no problems with it and I love the little breaks in the song. It just seems like a throwaway song to me and I never never would have said that's the song that should be the lead-off track.
3: Yeah, I'm going to agree with you on that, Ken, because when I first heard "Give Me a Feeling," I was like, "This this is it. This is what you This 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 is the first single. This is the best song off the album. This
2: on guitars and bass, we have Ace Fraley and drums by Matt Starr. I think Matt Starr plays on most of the album, if not the whole album, correct? Yeah, I think so. Okay, good. I'd leave it to our drummer to pick up on that.
3: Yeah, because I was mad about that. Yeah, figures. I'm mad about something. I was mad <laughs> about that because I'm like, where's Anton Fig? nothing against matt Starr, great drummer great guy but where's
2: anton fig it's almost a crime not to have anton fig on an ace fraley track right guys agree with you 110 percent i wanted to get
5: andrew's sort of perspective as a drummer because one of the most disappointing aspects of the album for me aside from the lack of really strong choruses is the what i can only describe as sort of the over compressed snare drum sound it just it doesn't sound as rock and roll as as it should to me, and, I, and I'm really curious what Andrew thinks about that.
3: Well, I bet you if it was Anton Fig slapping that snare drum, it would sound a lot better. And that's mm. all I'm going to say about that. Yeah, <laughs> you know, to to me, like all the Ace solo albums, except for Second Sighting, which uh, Jamie Oldacre I think was the drummer on that one. Every A solo album, that includes the '78 solo album and most of Anomaly, Anton Fig was is always been his recording drummer. He's almost synonymous with Ace in his studio. So when I first heard about Ace gonna put out a new album, I go, great, I'm gonna hear some cool drum tracks by Anton Figg. So when I heard it was gonna be Matt Starr, nothing against the guy, I just was like, well, kinda let down. And I think just the way Matt attacks the drums, the way he, what drums he uses, and his tuning, and, and all of his little incidentals with what he does with the drums, I think that kinda added to my, not really distaste, but my disappointment with the drum sound. I mean, if Anton was there, Anton might have been like, "Oh, let's do it this way, or let's do it that way," or you know, or, or maybe it wouldn't have. But I know once I heard that it wasn't Anton, I kind of was hit down a couple notches as far as the drums go.
2: Now, Matt Porter, you posted on the Mighty Mighty Kiss Room Facebook page, correct? Correct. And you asked the fine constituents there. What was their favorite Ace Frehley track? And some of the folks that liked this song were John Gonzalez, Arna Kemp Jr., Mark Lowe, Sean Peruca, and P.J. Brown. And if I mispronounce anybody's names through the show, tough titty. We did the best (laughs) we could. (laughs) (laughs) So that's your favorite song, folks, Space Invader. Now let's move on to the next track, Give Me a Feeling. Give
1: me a feeling Cause you're on my
0: mind and I Until the end of time
2: Feeling written by Ace Frehley and John Ostrowski.
0: BJ? I wasn't very impressed with this song. Uh, I think it's just really generic, kind of, and there's not a lot going on. I'm not looking necessarily for originality, but I just don't think it has good hooks or a good melody. It's just really generic and plain.
4: Matt Porter. I have to disagree. I thought it was one of the better songs on the album. If anything, I thought this kind of had the throwback sound to the 78 album. I liked the noisy intro. You know, I think it would have been neat if they were going to keep Space Invader as track number one if they had done kind of a uh, Destroyer opening where it, the one song blended into the other one as far as all that kind of noisy feedback that he's got going on at the start. I like the solo a lot. The one thing I like about a bunch of the songs on this album is their love songs. He's clearly, this is a song about he's, he's happy in a good relationship. And uh, you know, it's being around somebody making you happy. Uh, I dig that vibe. You know, it's, it's easy to write songs. Oh, everything's so sad and blah, 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 you know, but to write a song that, Hey, look, I'm happy to be in a relationship, you know, and uh, not sound cheesy. And uh, I like it. I think it's a good song.
5: Excellent. Okay, Craig Cohen. This was a song that when it was posted originally, and the it was released as a single, it feels like months before the album, because the album was delayed, what, from June to, to August? And it took me about from June to August to finally start to appreciate this song. Um, when I first heard it, I really sort of felt like DJ, that it really felt like kind of just a generic, um, you know, run-of-the-mill rock song. And by the time the album came out and I was listening to it, I fell a little bit more in the Matt Porter side of uh, appreciating it.
2: And Andrew?
5: I really wasn't that too impressed with it when I first heard it. But I will
3: say this, when I finally heard the song live, I was like, alright, I can get into this. So I think it goes over much better live than it does on the studio album.
0: I can see that, yeah.
2: I enjoy this track a lot. I didn't like, the for whatever reason, the, the, the ending. I just didn't like the ending. Well, uh, that's what the radio edit's for. Yeah, yeah, but I don't like how that one just fades out. I'm not a big fan of fade-outs in general. You know, I guess that that would make your enjoyment of rock and roll over. (laughs) Interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Boy, a lot of people really like this track on the Kiss Room Facebook page. Mark Joseph Seymour, Miguel Nunez, Lee Michaels, Scott D. Parker said, Give me a feeling for its Hard Rock Beatles vibe is my number one. John Phillips, and Juan Amaya like that as well. So,
0: The guy uh, who did Do You Know What I Mean likes that song? <laughs> Lee Michaels.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> different, different Lee Michaels. Oh, um,
0: different Lee Michaels, okay.
2: You know, part of this song has drops that remind me of Plaster Caster. Yeah, I guess I could hear that. Check it out the next time you listen to it. Now, uh, lead vocal, Ace Frehley, of course. Background vocals, Rachel Gordon and Ace Frehley. Guitars and bass, Ace Frehley. And drums, of course, Man Star. Our next track is I Wanna Hold You, written by Ace Frehley. Gen Rubin and Sebastian Bosco. Never heard of these people. Gen Rubin, Grammy Award-winning multi-instrumentalist composer. No
1: time done. there's more to come. And I've been dreaming so long I wanna... Cause I told you, are like oh no.
2: Matt Porter, your thoughts on I Want to Hold You.
4: This is hands down the best song on the album. I think this is, when I first got the CD and I'm cranking it up and I'm driving along listening to it, I think this should have been the first single. It To me, it sounds totally up to date. It's current it's got a youthful vibe about it like there's something about it like to me it's one of those songs that like you really you feel like the excitement of being in love with somebody you know and you know it you know you want to be with that person all the time I think it's great I th- and it's the shortest song on the album it comes in around three and a half minutes
1: mm-hmm.
4: you know it's one of those songs that I think in a way I like the direction of this it's like it's a flat out pop song Like I said, I mean, if it gives you people, as they listen, some idea of what we're gauging the rest of the songs on, to me, I'd like to hear them even stay in this kind of vein. I think this is a great song.
2: Well, that's kind of what I'm talking about. This is is that one pop song. I mean, when you think about it, this is clearly a great pop song. This is kind of what I was talking about earlier. BJ, your thoughts?
0: Well, I love the riff and I love the verse, but I, I don't think the, cor- the chorus is, is nearly as good as the rest of the song. But I was going to say, Matt, you're a big fan of the Zeros, right?
4: Absolutely, yeah. Yeah,
0: and this song would fit. To me, it would fit really well on four, three, two, one. The Zeros, and he sounds a lot like Sammy Serious on this Absolutely. song. Absolutely, yeah. It, I, I think it's a really good song. I just wish it had a better hook on the chorus. But it's definitely one of my favorite songs on the See, record. It's, fu-
4: it's funny because you're one of the only people that are gonna that are gonna get a reference like the Zeros. If anybody's yeah. <laughs> listening and they, and they don't know the Zeros, go back. Four, three, two, one, the zeros is one of my favorite albums of all time. And awesome. it's great because I found that on a couple of other songs where I thought that where it made me feel that same thing. And they were in that same kind of pop, crunchy kind of thing. It's cool that you said that. I was going to say, but I thought nobody would even get that reference. You're the only other one who will know. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah. Craig Cohen
5: yeah I like the, the overall feel of the song and I and I think you know Matt sort of spoke to it as well as the the sort of drive of the song and just the overall feel and I also thought it was really sort of funny to hear Ace play that signature like lead break that starts the song it's it's such an iconic riff and Ace wasn't the first one to ever play it but you hear it and you Ace ast- instantly think of Ace so it was kind of cool to hear him sort of throw that riff right or that lead break right at the beginning of a song as you know sort of you know marking his territory if you will. Andrew? My problem with this song and
2: it
3: starts with this song and it kind of continues with the rest of the album where I feel like it's guitar part maybe a verse another lead guitar part a chorus and it's like okay how many lead guitar parts can you throw into one single song and it it got kind of repetitive and it started with this song. Taking the, If this was the only song that was kind of like that in the album, this would be my favorite song on the album, but I think it would have been a whole heck of a lot better if someone else sang the song. Because I think you really hear the limitations of Ace as a vocalist on this song. Because again, I think the song, it's a great pop song, it's catchy, but I'm listening to it I'm
2: like, well, what if someone else sang this? It might sound a whole lot better. Hmm. Well, I think this is one of my favorite songs off the album, and I'm not alone with that. From the Kiss Room Facebook page, we have Chris Sinzak, Joe Laskin, Janelle Vargas, Brian Thalvanel, and Phoenix Feel, who like this song as their favorite song off of Space Invader. Our next track is Change, written by Ace Fraley and Rachel Gordon, produced by Ace Fraley and Ronnie Mancuso. And Betty, your thoughts on change? This is my least favorite song on
3: the album. And I just feel like it was one of those songs where it was like, hurry up, we gotta think of a song. There's a lot of co-writes with Rachel on this album. And I just don't think, this is anything against Rachel, I just don't think her forte should be co-writing songs with Ace. I think someone... I think someone above Ace needs to come in and kind of mold his craft a little bit. Someone maybe like an Eddie Kramer or a Bob Ezra someone that comes in and says, okay, this idea works, this idea doesn't work, expand on this, kind of cut that back a little bit. So I think this is where the album kind of gets, where I'm listening to song after song going, nothing is really popping out at me. That's like a really, really catchy part or a really cool riff.
0: And it starts with this song. BJ? I like the riff on the chorus. I like the chorus of this song. Um... One of my problems with this album is on a lot of the songs. Rather than describing what Ace is doing as singing, you might better describe it as speaking. When you're listening to a record, there's not a lot of times where you go, "Wow, he's really enunciating on this song." <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, there's just too much enunciating on some of these songs, and where the lyrics don't even rhyme and just kind of awkward. It makes the melody awkward. It, it's an awkward approach to it. I I don't know. And this is one of the songs where the the, the enunciating is. Just too much, but but I do enjoy I do enjoy uh, the the riff on the chorus, especially for this. I would say you know when you say the the enunciating thing when the this album first came out, we Mr. Speed, we played this in the
3: dressing room to kind of you know let's do it and get a feel. When every time we would go back to the album. We'd always repeat a a part of a song, uh, and I think it was the title track, Space Invader, because it sounded like Ace was saying, He comes from distant galaxies, like he was pronouncing every (laughs) little little piece of that word so perfect. Distant galaxies.
0: It's like, he enunciated the shit out of that. (laughs) He did, he did.
4: (laughs) Matt Porter. Does anybody else get a vibe from this song, like the song Bad Company? deserters we uh, oh wow you ever hear Mm. that the first time I heard the song I was listening to it going what song does this remind me of and it reminds me of that song Bad Company and I mean hopefully that's not now stuck in your head but I like it more for the I think the vibe of the song and I really liked it when he did it live because obviously Ace is somebody who has had people telling him probably for decades you should do this and you should do that and why don't you do this and why can't you do that and in a way when he did the song live he almost he started it almost sounding apologetic he's like look I'm not trying to tell you, you know, what to do, but there's things, you know, if you can make a positive change or something like that, and you can tell he's obviously trying to clean himself up, and I think he had that vibe that he wanted to give to people, like that you can kick whatever is, you know, going on, and I like the vibe of it more, I like that, I think the, the his intent maybe was better than the song, but I, I really liked the song a lot more after I heard him do it live, which I thought, you know, was, was pretty fantastic. And it's a definite change. I mean, one thing as we go through these songs, I think that you really have to listen to this as an album. Like, if you hear this by itself, you know, and a lot of people were judging it right away on the 30-second sound clips on Amazon. You go, oh, yeah, you're not going to buy it. But, you know, when you listen, it, ch- it changes. It's got a nice texture through the album. Once I finally figured out that I thought it sounded like Bad Company, I enjoyed the song. But, really, I like it a lot more after I heard him do it live.
2: I'm digging that. And great call on that, by the way. Craig Cohen?
5: I really like this song. I, I dig the, the overall mood of it. I, I dig the theme. And lyrically, it's, I don't know why, but when I listen to the song, this almost seems like Ace singing a song to and for Peter Chris. And I know it's not, but that's where my head goes. And it makes me appreciate the song a little bit more.
2: Well, I'm going to tell you this. That's in my notes on this song. It seems like it's directed at Peter Chris to me. oh wow okay I don't know why but it seems like he's saying you know quit your bitching get your head together and change and it talks about how you like put us in a bad spot or something and and I I feel that It, it just feels that way and maybe I'm crazy maybe you're crazy yeah we're crazy that's that's what it feels like it's kind of bizarre
4: well like I said I think the fact that it, he's heard it all his life that you know you should change but everybody knows somebody in their life where you say man like if you could you gotta kick what you're doing I could hear that I mean in a lot of ways I think you know I mean obviously he and Peter have such a relationship and both have had problems with abuse it could be a wake up call to anybody I mean it's, right. which I you know and yeah definitely I mean I could hear that for sure
2: well when you think about it uh Peter's song Space Ace off his last album was right. not exactly a kind song to me. Right. You know, where you're trapped in your lies and things like that. Yep. So I'm kind of wow, I'm wondering if they're sending messages to one another. Good point. As far as people that really dug this song, people that picked change as their favorite song.
4: Joe Sambelli out in Detroit Rock City.
2: That's right, Joe Sambelli. Mitch Rollins, Bob Brodsky and Ben Van Belzen. But Actually got some of the most votes. Our next song is Toys. Toys.
1: It's a big boy. you be surprised if
2: Written by Ace Fraley. According to Ace, this song was written in less than an hour. <laughs> I believe that. And that says a lot. All I know is that when I listen to this song, it reminds me of that quote from the movie Spinal Tap. What day did the Lord create Spinal Tap and couldn't he have rested on that day too? (laughs) (laughs) This is probably my least favorite song on the album. I really have not much good to say about it. I think that his song Dolls is much better that was on the uh, Fraley's Comet album and people slag that one. I'd rather listen to that than this. Please no vibrating egg jokes. So (laughs) Craig Cohen, what do you think of Toys?
5: Utterly and completely uninspired and confusing at the same time because in a couple songs we're going to have Inside the Vortex, which has a very, very similar riff to it. Right. So I don't understand why on an album that might run one or two songs too long, you would include two songs that are so similar sounding, especially when the song that's going to follow it that has a similar sound blows it completely out of the water. BJ?
0: I really appreciate the effort that Ace put into this record. You could tell he put a lot of work into it, but a song like this, you know, I mean, the way a lot of these guys write songs is they'll jam and record it and then maybe listen back and pick out parts that, you know, stuff they played and then turn that into to a song well it sounds like he just took the thing he heard on the tape and didn't even write it any further you know it's like the song was barely even written and like you know he said he wrote in less than an hour it seems like the whole song would have just been the first idea and then you write further and add different parts but this just seems like an incomplete off-the-cuff song which it sounds like it was so
2: andrew
3: i feel like this song and several other songs that followed this song were, as BJ was saying, they're great first ideas. And I think there's a couple of good ideas in every song, but they weren't really fleshed out. Right. This, the saving grace of this song is that when I saw them do this live, I thought it, it went off great when they were doing it live. had a great energy when they were doing it live, great drum part. But as far as the studio version goes, eh, skip. Mm. Matt Porter?
4: See, I think this song could be called It's Good to Be Ace because, you know, his toys are a fast car and he's going to shoot guns and drive a speedboat. I'm happy I got a snowblower. So that's a different kind of toys that you have to play with. You know, and does anybody else get a vibe of uh, Earache My Eye? My mama talking I me to Cheech
3: Marriage is coming in the studio. I mean,
4: so I don't know. I, I like you said. I, I agree with everything everybody said. I think it's uh, it really is more of a uh, kind of a throwaway for me.
2: It seems like it could be a theme song for like an HDNet TV show <laughs> about guys that live on the edge and four wheel and go gambling and stuff. But it's it uninspired was the word. For this one, for me,
4: it'll be on the travel channel. Today on Toys, we're going to go out and check out the new speedboat oh, All that. Do <laughs> you realize we've just <laughs> no, no, no. given someone
2: an idea for a TV show, right? <laughs> and wait, wait, I, I, got, I got one. I got one. Today on Toys, we're going to check out those big boys. <laughs> <laughs> I find it not surprising that I only counted one person on the Mighty Kiss Room Facebook page. And Matt, one person picked that song on the Mighty Kiss Room Facebook page, and who was that?
4: Shout out to Sal Calora. I think he was the one that posted he liked that song the
2: most. Very good. Our next track is Immortal Pleasures. <laughs> Immortal Women By Ace Fraley and Rachel Gordon. The introduction section of this song is borrowed from one of Ace's favorite science fiction movies, Forbidden Planet. The song features lyrical contributions by Ace's fiancée, Rachel Gordon. According to Ace, she writes lyrics a lot differently than I would. It shows a different side of me. It was a very good collaboration and a nice surprise for both of us. It was a little awkward at times because she's not a musician. But when I nailed the chords and she wrote all those lyrics, it worked out great. I'm sure we're going to collaborate in the future because she's got some great ideas." Ken, I just
5: wanted to point out real quick that, and I think there was some chatter about this when the album came out over on the FAQ. but. I you know ordered this through Amazon, and as I was waiting for the physical copy to come in the mail, you get the the free uh, MP3 rip, yeah. and it was not the finished album. It didn't have any of the audio drops in it, which was was a really weird listen when I put in the physical copy and was driving to work and heard all this stuff I hadn't heard on my first few listens. Hmm. So that makes that a collector's
2: item. A collector, I guess if you
5: can call digital files collectible. A
2: collector MP3 <laughs> right. file, so there you go. All right, so Craig Cohen, your thoughts on Immortal Pleasures? I, I like this song. I think it's it's got sort of a, a cool feel to
5: it. Uh, I love when Ace isn't doing the completely overblown, distorted guitar thing. It's you know it's something I, that I don't really remember hearing a lot from him, and I think it's cool. And I think the the lyrics for me they're, they they kind of work. You know, they're a little they're a little goofy, but overall, I. I don't know. I, I dig this tune. I, I it's, it's one of the, the better songs in the album for me. Andrew. So in your little excerpt, Rachel is not a musician. If she's not a musician, why on earth are you writing songs with her?
3: Hey, I'm not a painter, but if I slap enough paint, I'm probably going to cover the wall. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> so this song, eh, that's all I'm going to say about it. This is where, like, this is that point of the album where, uh, you know, I threw it on one day in the dressing room as we're getting ready, and I'm kind of doing my makeup, and I'm like, the hell
0: is this? Well, BJ, your thoughts? Ace does some amazing enunciating on this song. She <laughs> <laughs> just enunciates. It's over the top. I, when I was listening to this song, I was thinking it sounded like Bushwick Bill. Do you know, do you guys know who Bushwick <laughs> Bill is from, from the Ghetto Boys? He's, oh, got wow. this yeah. Song, yeah. he's got a song, or if you could call it a song, about when his girlfriend shot him. <laughs> Where he's like, Why you shot me in the eye? I would have shot you in the body. <laughs> 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 and I mean, that's... This song kind of reminds me of that. That Bushwick Bill song about, where he tells the whole story of when he was threatening to throw the baby out the window because he was trying to uh, get his girlfriend to shoot him because he wanted to, I guess, God, suicide what? by girlfriend or something. But <laughs> what, yeah. what is
2: the name
5: of this song? They tell me that they love me and all that. But really, they just wait for me to fall flat so they can get me for my income. Take me for all I got and then some. Like treating shit.
0: hilarious. The video is hilarious. And then they put a picture of him on the Ghetto Boys album cover at the hospital after he was shot in the eye, sitting on the stretcher. Good lord. But yeah, he's, he's, yeah. That was, his logic was, you know, why'd you shoot me in the eye? I would've shot you in the body. <laughs> <laughs> Ever so clear, that's what it's called. Wow. And yeah, to try it. to think about the way Ace enunciates when you, if you listen. To <laughs> the
2: <show>. Distant galaxies. <laughs> eh. And of course, Rachel sings background vocals. <laughs> right. <No. laughs> Though she's not a musician, she she does sing background vocals. So. Eh. <laughs>
3: no, she doesn't say she doesn't say "ack" anymore. He just says, you know. Yeah, if you, want to play a, if you ever want to play a really great Ace drinking game, turn on an interview and take a shot every time he says, you know, he'll be so drunk by the end of that
1: interview.
2: So over enunciating all over the place on that one. And we, cool. and we have background vocals by Rachel Gordon, Ken Gulick, and Ace Frehley, guitars and bass by Ace. And of course, drums and percussion, Matt Starr.
4: You got to do a bit, the Ace Frehley School of Diction, like, okay, class, but Ken, you got got to do the voice, though. I can't do a good
2: Ace. (laughs) You
4: were doing a great Ace before.
2: Seriously?
4: Mm. Want to speak like a true rock god? Join the Ace Frehley School of Diction. Ace Frehley himself will teach you how to talk and enunciate like a true rock star. All students will get one item signed and a photo with Ace himself. And he's guaranteed to have his thumb up and pointing right at you.
2: The Ace Freely School of Diction. Ace Frehley. It's Frehley, not Freely. Sorry, the Ace Frehley School of Diction. You know, Diction. Diction. When you're singing, you gotta say Diction. 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 When you're singing, you need to say Diction, you know.
4: Sorry, the Ace Frehley School of
2: Diction. Listen! You gotta enunciate! The nouns from the vowels just enunciate! Overpronounce all your words when you're singing! Just like this! <laughs> the rain in space is like ace! Get it? <laughs> <laughs> Immortal pleasures! You gotta <laughs> you gotta stretch the words out. enunciate Our next and uh I don't think anybody listed that one as their favorites. Right. So <laughs> ouch. Ouch on that one, huh? Okay, our next track, inside the vortex. Ages. Written by Ace Fraley. According to Ace, it's a riff song, but I wrote it on a bass guitar. Why? Because I write differently with a bass guitar in my hand than an acoustic guitar and electric guitar. When I feel creative, I just sit down and start playing. Are you sure it wasn't a bass guitar that he wrote? <laughs> the, the
5: trout, guitar. the trout
2: player. <laughs> oh, good lord! All right, Matt Porter, your thoughts on "Inside the Vortex"?
4: Well, you know, like Craig mentioned, it's got almost the same riff as "Toys." You know, which it's kind of odd. And then the funny thing I thought, the one note that I wrote down is the use of the word sublime. Like, (laughs) the only other person that I know that uses the word sublime on any kind of regular basis is Craig Smith from Pods and Sods. Uh He will describe things as sublime. So it's, I guess I'd give it a point for using a word that you, like, never hear in a rock song. I thought the guitar solo was great, but, I mean, overall, I, somehow this wasn't really one of my favorite songs. Craig I Cohen. think
0: Rachel wrote Sublime. <laughs>
4: <laughs> what was Sublime's big hit? There you go. Oh, um,
3: it, wasn't it what I got? No, yeah. friends, I don't I know.
5: All right, Craig Cohen, your thoughts on. Uh, my favorite song on the album, hands down. This was really the the song when I listened to the album where I said, wow, Ace really still has something to contribute in terms of, you know, forward progress musically for himself and in terms of what he's going to deliver for his fans. And I had a chance to meet him for the second time uh, back at Chiller Theater uh, in the spring. And I was able to tell him how much I liked this song. And I told him it blew my fucking mind, uh, the guitar break in the middle where if you put on headphones, Um, You can really hear some great stuff, and Ace really seemed uh, really happy to hear that from me, which was funny, because most of that encounter, he was on the phone with Rachel, so uh, it was neat to, to make that connection. And we had met Ace, I guess back in 2012, maybe, he did the Monster Mania over in Cherry Hill, and we both lined up and got our picture with him, and then we were at Chiller... This year, and we both said, "Hey, well, you know, instead of sending spending sixty bucks in two thousand twelve, uh, we can split that sixty, and I won't feel as bad paying another thirty for his autograph mm-hmm. today." So we lined up, and you know, he had an odd selection of pictures to say the least. He, he didn't have many makeup pictures at all, and he did have a very very cool live shot of him playing recently. So we're lined up, and you know they had um, Ace in his own room, and they had um, pipe and drapes up, so you, you couldn't see him until he, it was actually your turn. Uh-huh. So they sent my brother through, and my brother was 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 you know getting his, his signature, and I peeked around and I sort of saw that Ace was on the phone, and the guy waved me through. I guess the guy knew that me and my brother were together, and Ace was on the phone, and it turns out he had written my brother's name wrong. I, I don't remember my brother's name is Keith, and I don't remember what name Ace thought he heard but he wrote it incorrectly so they had to write a, another autograph uh, autograph another picture for him and at that point ace finally said i gotta go i love you bye bye and we had our you know our our 10 to 15 seconds with ace where we were actually able to interact with him but i did think it was funny that he was on the phone and it, it, it kind of speaks a little bit to some of the fan interact- interaction people have had with him over the years
4: <laughs> did you get your picture with him
5: not this year, um, back at Monster Mania we did, yeah.
4: I was going to say, because let me guess, he's pointing at you in his thumbs up. <laughs> <laughs> Which is like every photo. Yeah, this guy. At right. this point, I'm wondering. This guy right here, he's great.
2: This, this guy paid me $30. <laughs> right,
4: this I'm, guy, waited in line while I talked on the phone.
2: I wonder <laughs> if, if, if he could send like a well-done mannequin or a cardboard cutout, <laughs> would you, like, pay $5 to get your picture taken with the cardboard cutout? Like, he could he could tour the country and just send the cardboard cutout to the oh Chiller Theater. Anyway, Andrew, your thoughts on Inside the Vortex?
3: So, again, we're listening to this song in the dressing room, and we were joking, and we said that, you know, Ace wrote this song, and, and Rachel was like, Ace, say Vortex again. Ace, say Vortex again. <laughs> because he says
2: Vortex like a hundred times in this song. Vortex! He really enunciates the song, too. Maybe he could and, get a commercial doing something for Gore-Tex. Yeah. Inside so, the Gore-Tex, <laughs> you'll say dry. So
3: so, then, so this song finishes, and then we were like, wouldn't it be funny if he dedicated a song to Rachel? And then, like, a song later, he's like, this
2: one's for Rachel. BJ.
0: There's some cool guitar in this song, but, I mean, what's most important to me with this song is the hooks, like a, like great hooks, you know, pre-chorus, chorus, stuff like that, and this song doesn't really have that kind of stuff in it, so... I don't, it's, yeah, it's definitely better than Toys. And I like some of the guitar work, and I I see what he was going for. Uh, It doesn't do much for me, really.
2: Inside the Gore-Tex. I mean, Vortex. (laughs) Gore-Tex. Gore-Tex! And off the Facebook page, people that liked Inside the Vortex are Erland Hauer and Bob Erickson. Our next track is What Every Girl Wants. And this is, to me, probably one of my favorite songs off the album. What every girl wants. includes the lyrics, shaken, sharp, shooter. It is not currently clear whether this song is a rewrite of the rejected Psycho Circus song by the same name. On this one, it's got guitars by Ace Fraley and bass by Chris Wise. Drums again by Matt Starr. I would love to hear Cheap Trick do this song. I think it would kill it. It would be fantastic. Matt Porter, your thoughts on what every girl wants.
4: Yeah, I agree with you. I think this is one of my favorite songs on the album. I mean, it goes back to kind of being a, uh, you know, kind of a classic riff, like the great riff, but then also the lyrics. It's basically, you know, obviously that same kind of, Sex kind of driven song. Does anybody else get a vibe? Does it remind you of Blind in Texas by Wasp? That yeah, you bum- know what?
3: I, w- I was going to mention that it, it so- sounds like Blind in Texas by Wasp. You
4: know, right away when I listened to that, it, I, it put it right in my head. Which you know, I like Wasp too. So I mean, it's not bad. I agree, Ken. I think it's one of the best songs on the album.
0: BJ, yeah, this is my favorite song in the record for sure. I love this song. I think this is definitely the closest he comes to the '78 solo album on this record. I love the guitar yeah. stuff on this. And I was going to bring up the Shaken Sharpshooter thing, too, because I always wondered how much Gene changed that song when he turned it into Into the Void. And I would guess that this song must be a reworking of the song that became Into the Void. You know, there's no way to there's no way to know. I haven't seen Ace say anything about it. So, And also, I think this is probably my favorite vocal performance on the record, too. The best vocal, the best that the vocal sound of any of the songs.
2: I would agree with that. And, you know, it's weird. We've always joked about how Gene has this song book of you know song titles that he holds on it seems like ace does the same thing whether he has a book or it's a bunch of post-it notes laying around i don't know whatever it would be but i don't think that that uh, lyric uh, be a, what is it a shaken sharp shooter is is all that great of a lyric to to hang on to like to me i don't think it really brings anything great to the song anyone else well there's some like serious
0: it. alliteration going on yeah that, but... right
2: <laughs> you guys cracked me up <laughs> Craig, Craig Cohen Speaking of alliteration, Craig Cohen Crazy
4: Crazy Nights, Craig Cohen
2: Yeah, yeah. I can't really
5: say much more than you guys have said uh, It's it's a great, you know, sort of forward-moving rock song I love the fact that you said you, you'd like to hear Cheap Chick do that because it just sort of framed the song even um, a little differently for me and uh, got me thinking about you know just what makes a good rock song and you can say if Cheap Trick could perform it that makes it a good rock tune <laughs> works
2: for me yeah the, the great lyrics all right i feel good i'm going to make you feel like you should maybe a shaken sharp shooter but you know i never miss oh yeah
3: you know he's straight. talking about his dick, right? I just want to make sure. You guys
2: do that. <laughs> just want to make sure that. There oh, that's what every girl wants. So, so it's sure. it's it's like a version of Love Gun again, right? I'll give you what every whatever, girl wants: my, my penis.
4: penis. <laughs> they want you to take out the trash and go to work, and re- is that what he's talking about?
2: <laughs> yeah, oh so that's that's kind of the song. So there you go. <laughs> again, one of the best poppier songs on the album. It's got a lot of get up and go to it. Eric Garrison. Loves this song and change as well. And Devon Ward, Willie Holland says, "What a girl wants sounds like it could have been a gene song. So there you go. The next track is "Pass the Milky Way."
1: Mars. I said, the
2: Milky Way Just to hold you in my arms Written by Ace Fraley and Chris Cassand. Craig Cohen, your thoughts? Does anybody remember the controversy that sort of
5: came about uh, on the FAQ with this song, where it turns out it might not have been a co-write, and it might have just been a a rewrite from a a previously released song about war veterans?
2: Yes, I Mm. do. Well, I remember when it first came out that Ace was talking about how he had the idea for this song, and so on and so forth, and then we find out that this gentleman... Chris Crisson, he. There's even a YouTube video, right? Yes. And I think it was called High on the Mountaintop.
1: Evil man telling evil lies. Just to win a vote, you watched him die. While that drone
2: tribute to the heroes of the Benghazi attack on our embassy in Libya and this was recorded in 2012 so you can get an idea of where that song came from but Ace kind of made it his own. Craig any thoughts on this song?
5: I like this song I I like any time that Ace is playing uh, acoustic guitars and mixing it in with his with his electrics and uh, I think the sentiment of the song is good You know, you can tell that he cares deeply for Rachel. And who knows, in a couple years, he might regret dedicating the song to her. But uh, here and now, in the moment, I I like it.
2: Yeah, to me, I don't care if it's Ace or Gene or Paul. Like, Paul would have put, hey, this next song's to Aaron. I didn't like it when John Lennon dedicated a song to Yoko or Paul McCartney dedicated a song to Linda. I just, I want my love songs to be dedicated to the the women in my life. So I don't want to, like... On the other hand, it's not like I'm going to get freaky and put this song on and go, "Oh yeah, here we go, baby." You know, Matt, could you imagine going up to your wife and going, "This is the song I'm thinking about you." <laughs> could you imagine, you know, you're playing that for your wife and she's like, "Okay, I, I guess," and then it comes up, "This song's dedicated to Rachel." You know, it's like pass. <laughs> She'd just drop on that one. <laughs>
4: Well, see, it's, I, in a way, I like the fact that it's dedicated to her only because of the fact... I mean, obviously, everybody you always try and think about what the songs are about and things like that. But again, I think one of the themes of the album is that he's in love right now. I mean, it's like, you know, and, and you wish, you know, I think in some ways it's nice to see him kind of go in that direction. I love the spacey kind of lyrics. I mean, they put it's that kind of major Tom kind of lost in space kind of vibe and, you know, like computers and spaceships. And, but somehow this song doesn't make me think that he's writing as the spaceman character. This is more like an astronaut kind of, I don't know. I, I kind of dig that Spacey vibe of the song more than you know some of the other references earlier in the album to being the spaceman, but uh, I like it. It's and it's different. It's a different pace of the song, and uh, I think it's one. It's it's one that I I dig.
0: B J. It's all right. It's not great. I don't I don't think Ace really has the singing voice to do what he tries to do on this song maybe he should have stuck to enunciating but I, I, I just, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it doesn't do much for me this one it's probably one of my least favorite songs in here
2: and people that cited their favorite song off of Space Invader as their favorite song was "Past the Milky Way and they are Josh Atkinson Blaine Martino Jim Irwin, Brian Pope Anthony Mesler Doug Lehman, Lou Mavelli and John Padley, so a lot of people really dug that song. Okay, our next track is Reckless. Right. Hey, crashing,
1: reckless, every, way. reckless every day. I was sure black or white.
2: Rejected, had to choose. I didn't written by Ace to... Fraley. Any thoughts on this one? Andrew Scambetti.
3: These last, these last two songs on the record before we get to uh, you know, the Joker, these two songs are extremely forgettable, mainly because I can't make it this far into the album more than like once or twice. So these songs are ones that they never really stood out to me. They never did anything for me. Wow, Matt Porter.
4: I like how it slows down in the middle. I thought that was cool. It gives it that spacey kind of vibe in the middle. yeah, not one of the best songs in the album. I like the solo a lot. There's parts of it that I really like but but yeah, not uh
5: not my favorite Craig Cohen in terms of pure rock songs on the album, this is probably probably the weakest I'd say. I like some of the drumming in it actually. I think some of the the fills are really cool, but you know it's it's hard to really slag too much on you know,
0: just forward moving you know, dumb rock songs, which is what Reckless is to me. BJ? I like this song. This would actually be one of my favorite songs. Probably the three songs that stand out for me are Whatever Girl Wants, I Want to Hold You, and then this song. I like it, and I think it's one of the better vocals on the album, too. And maybe to me, maybe one of the songs that could have possibly fit more on his 78 album than, than most of the others. But did anybody else catch the lyric in the chorus where he says... I believe he says, wondering whose ass I'm trashing. Yeah, I
2: was going to bring that up. <laughs> I'm looking for love in passing, wondering whose ass I'm trashing, trying to be cool but not caring, reckless in every way.
0: So, what is what does he mean when he says he's trashing someone's ass? <laughs> does he just mean talking shit about somebody or.
2: Well, let's it, go with that. Yeah, let's go with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the other options are more the same. <laughs> right, as right. As well. <laughs> Well, in all honesty, lyrically, as weird as this is going to sound, this is almost an emotional rewrite of hard times. Okay.
4: It's similar roots, sure.
2: Yeah, to where he's talking about his past as a you know from the time he was a teen up till now, and how he didn't have the coping skills. You know, he's so helpless and reckless as as he talks about it. So, he's actually trying to do something here, and, and I can't fault him for that. And the the song that was on Anomaly that a lot of people gave a lot of crap to was a little below the Angels. Right. Right. I thought that was a kind of a brave thing. But then again, I come from a love of the Beatles. And if those guys wanted to write something, they did it. And they weren't stuck in having to be the character of Paul McCartney and the character of John Lennon. If they wanted to write any kind of song, they did it. So Yeah, I but give... I think A
3: Little Below the Angels was a little more polished and a lot more thought went into it than this
2: song. I, I kind of get the vibe from hard times, and it, he's he's saying that he wasn't always in as touch with his, his emotions as he is now. So, uh, you know, but keep in mind, if you're, if you're looking for love in passing, be careful of whose ass you are trashing. So, you know, <laughs> look out, gang. Off the Facebook page, Lee McCormick, Greg Raymond, and Raymond Amifer really like the track Reckless. So, there we go. Our next song, well, you either love this one or you don't, and it is a cover version of Steve Miller's song, The Joker.
1: Cause I'm a picker, I'm a grinner, I'm a lover, and I'm a sinner. i my music in the sun. I'm a joker, I'm a smoker, I'm a midnight toker. I get my loving on the ground.
2: Gambetti, would you take this one? Why? Why? Why?
3: <laughs> you know, Ace has made a career of doing cover songs, and I don't mean that as a slam. He's done – he did a great cover in New York Groove. He did a great cover of 2000 Man. Did a really cool cover of Do Ya. Um, and he, I even like this cover of Fox on the Run. But this song, I don't feel like Ace added anything to it. I feel like he – it's almost like a cover band was just re-recording this at one of their Pub & Grub concerts. There's or, no there's no Ace signature in this song. There's nothing unique about it. He didn't add anything to it. So, I listen to this and I'm like, why? why? Why'd
2: you do this? Why? Matt Porter?
4: Well, I think I agree with Andrew on the fact that obviously we all know that Ace has had success with covers. But I think I don't think I would take somebody's signature song and do a cover. I mean, obviously, Do You was a signature song. But like New York Groove, nobody, that even though there was other versions of it, it was nobody's signature song. You know, everybody knows the original of this song. And yeah. I think and unless he was really going to do something different, the only thing that could have saved it is if he had said, some people call me curly. <laughs> but, you know, hey, look, I didn't even great. get that right. So it just... Uh, you know, I, I got to say, yeah, this one doesn't really make it into uh, too many mixes for me. I, I think I would have rather either heard another original song on the album or, or if you're going to pick a song to do a cover, pick something that we don't know the original of so well.
2: Well, this is where having a bunch of people and friends and Rachel and everybody in the studio singing with them could have been fun. Made it like a party kind of thing. You know what I mean?
4: It's just such a straightforward kind of copy. Like, like I mean, that's exactly it. I think that could have been more fun. It just, I think it misses the mark.
2: And your idea of, you know, some people call me Carly. Right. Awesome. I mean, it,
4: only because every Kiss nerd would go, oh, yeah, I
2: know what that means. Ah! Yeah. <laughs> so Kiss nerds sound like Japanese wrestlers <laughs> just that one right there you know, that was awesome man i love you know,
4: it i want everybody this is they could all draw a picture of what that looks like post them on the podcast facebook page
2: what do you think <laughs> this is looks like what do you think someone saying this would look like post your pictures oh yeah i know
4: what that means yeah.
2: <laughs> Steve Miller told ABC News Radio that he had already checked the tune out, and he said, I was flattered and laughed out loud when I heard it. He also added, when anybody does a cover of my song, I'm always very curious and always happy that someone has actually listened to a song that I've written, another performer, another artist. So I was really pleased and happy about it. It was great. Miller also says he's long appreciated Kiss, calling the band an institution, adding that he's particularly impressed by the spectacular concerts they put on. He says, I remember the first KISS show I ever went to was in Seattle, and I saw these guys play and was amazed at what they achieved and accomplished in their showmanship and their production. So Craig, your thoughts?
5: Despite what uh, Steve Miller thinks of this song, I would say it's it's pretty much junk. Ouch. I would say you make this a 10-song album or even a 9-song album, uh, if you go with, with Ken's suggestion,
0: you wouldn't lose anything. BJ? Well, I have always hated this song. It's one of my most hated classic rock radio oh. staples, and so I would not suggest anyone cover or listen to this song ever, so... <laughs> I don't. Were they thinking that this could be a single? Is that what they were doing? It definitely seems like this was an E one music call, and probably someone else's idea, right?
2: Ace remembers balking at people telling him to do New York Groove. So pretty much any time somebody has uh, recommended doing a cover, he remembers turning down New York Groove originally. To me, it's it's great to have any song that Ace Frehley did, but this is not. Uh... Not 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 the greatest song on my radar, shall we say, for Ace. You know what this song reminds me of?
3: It reminded me of Eugene song by uh, yeah right. Crazy Joe and the Variable Speed Band. And mm-hmm. eh, 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 Eugene. That's what it, like I thought of that. I'm like, if you're gonna do the Joker, okay, I could see the whole Eugene thing.
2: So we recommend that he goes back and recut the song either with some people call me Curly or some people call me Eugene. That would be uh, <laughs> that would be better. Eugene.
0: Or some people call me the Space Ace. Yeah, that was. Right, there the you go. Or the Space Man. Space Man,
2: no. Zoiks, Scoobs. And as far as people like the Joker, we had Johnny Mewborn and Shelly Lee. And Shelly Lee cheated. She's one of these cheaters that posted more than one song. She liked Space Invader, Milky Way, and the Joker. Darren and Eddie Gage both simply said all. Ken J. West picked two songs, Change or Reckless. Brad Colletti picked Change and Inside the Vortex. John Cochran picked Pass the Milky Way and Starship. And Robert Knapp wrote Inside the Vortex, What Every Girl Want, Reckless. I can't pick one. I love the whole album. So there you go.
4: Well, you know, see, I'm, I'm going to send a shout-out. Eddie Gage, we had a long discussion back and forth on Facebook. He is a hardcore ace guy, and he really made the comment that the whole album should be listened to as an album and that the songs flow and this and that and the other and maybe some of the stronger songs save some of the weaker songs. Uh-huh. And uh, I, I think, in a way, this is one of the few KISS releases, and I call it a KISS release, obviously, but in the age of everybody heard it first via 30-second samples on Amazon. And that's no way to experience an album. I mean, you know, you had people that were, you know, you heard that, that snippets of this song and snippets of that song. My advice to everybody, wait till you get the physical CD in your hand. You can crank it up in your car. That's the way to really, you know, to do it.
2: Our next track is Starship. You do
5: this one. It's always kind of expected from Ace now that he's going to put a fractured song on, on the album. And we know with Anomaly that what the, the final fractured was was included. So uh, it was cool to see that he did another instrumental track and deviated from the, the fractured formula, if you will. And it's a, it's a good enough song. It, it runs over seven minutes, which is pretty long for any song, let alone an instrumental. But I think there's a lot of interesting stuff going on, and it and it's kind of cool and familiar for for Ace to end with a an instrumental.
0: BJ, yeah, I like it. It's it's a cool instrumental. Um, I think it would have been cool if he called it Acorn Two.
4: Right. <laughs> <laughs> Matt Porter. I agree completely with what BJ just said. To me, there's you have two different, two different kind of instrumentals. There's the quantum fraction, or fractured quantum on the last one was part of that whole fractured mirror series. But then you have the acorn is spinning kind of series. This fits into that. So if it had been called acorn is spinning part two or something, it would make a lot more sense. Especially, I mean, on Anomaly, Fractured Quantum is, I love that. I mean, I almost couldn't say enough. I listen to that song a lot. There's something about it that's so hypnotic. I mean, you talk about a song wanting to move you, I think Fractured Quantum, I have a folder on one of my playlists that's all the fractured mirrors in a row, and I listen to just those over and over and over. This doesn't necessarily fit into that group. So obviously he's trying to do something different. I don't like it as much as I like the other Fractured songs, but uh, it's all right.
3: Andrew Scambetti. It's all right. You get this late in the album, and you Ace has completely lost me by this point. All I'm thinking of is, you know, vortex and enunciate <laughs> and space and space invade. That's all I'm thinking of at this point.
2: I'm just like, <laughs> all right, got to get See. through one more. This is where Space Invader might have benefited the last part of the album. Yeah, maybe. You know, pick it back up after the Joker do Space Invader leading into Starship. So if, if, if you want to try the Ken Mills mix, you can resequence <laughs> your album any way you want. But overall, we, we, we give the album between the staff, we'd say, anywhere between 70% to 90%. Favorable. Does that sound good, guys? It's still yeah. a sideways thumb. Yeah, Maybe like sixty-three percent. Yeah, but I'm I'm I'm, a, I'm accumulating all of our votes Oh, together. the average, the yeah, average. Yeah. So 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 mm-hmm. the median average would be anywhere between seventy percent to ninety percent. We'll say. I think ninety's kind of generous, but yeah.
0: I was thinking um, it would have been really ironic if he would have titled the instrumental Enunciate. <laughs> <laughs>
2: And of course, you have some bonus tracks depending on which version you get. And uh, to me, the bonus tracks really add nothing to much of anything. I, I yeah,
5: it, it's nice to have them. Yeah. Well, the weird thing is, on the standard edition, the you get the radio edit of "Give Me a Feeling," which mm-hmm. whose idea was that? Seems really weird that that would be on the standard edition, and you have to buy the elu- deluxe edition to get the actual, you know, non-radio edit. Yeah, that's kind of weird.
3: Kind of and weird. who and who said to them, you know what, listen to the song in the radio, damn, it's nine seconds too long. Can we trim about nine seconds off of this? I just need nine seconds gone. That's well, just- they take
4: off recurses, though. Yeah. You can't play fucking nuts on <laughs> yeah. regular yeah, but you, mainstream radio. Yeah, but, yeah, you but could, why you not just do better
2: version where it yeah. goes, you make me crazy.
0: Right. <laughs> maybe, maybe they thought if they called it radio edit, somebody would actually play it on the radio.
4: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, right. I, mean, I, mean, it's it's, I
3: the Space Invader radio edit, and you look at that one, that's like a minute less. So yeah. that I can
0: understand.
2: I really think if they would have done, you make me crazy, it would have been fantastic. They should have done that. Should have stuck with it. So let us know what you think of Ace Frehley's Space Invader album. We hope you enjoyed our discussion on this. And now we're going to talk about Ace Frehley Live, and we're going to talk a little bit about what's coming next. So what do we look forward to? two in the coming year or years from Ace as far as recording another album. I know that there's talk of doing a covers album. Matt Porter.
4: I'm not so sure I'd want to hear necessarily a covers album. I think I'd like to hear an album where he did songs with different vocalists. I think that would be fantastic. I really... Wish he would take his current touring band in the studio and have them do more of the vocals as well. I mean, that's, you know, obviously Richie Scarlett. I think, you know, some of the stuff he's done with Ace is fantastic. Uh, Scott Coogan, I thought he was fantastic when we saw him live and, and really was able to handle a lot of the Kiss songs that they did. He's doing the Paul Stanley vocal. And I think an album with that group, you know, maybe if he went in and did an album that was a bunch of guys sitting down together and writing songs that old school you know kind of vibe of writing I I think I'd rather hear more new ace material than covers myself that's you know I'd say
2: okay Craig Cohen
5: I think overall any new ace music is, is a plus hopefully we never have to go through the length of time that we went through between you know his work in the 90s and and Anomaly so just the fact that we know that there's new music being worked on is, is great for me and I can understand the idea behind a covers album because it you know allows Ace not to really have to work too hard on generating new material especially looking at how you know weak some of the Space Invader material was so I'm kind of interested to see what he what he chooses for his cover songs and if he approaches them, um, you know, in that unique Ace Freely way, and anything will be an improvement over the Joker, in my opinion. Also, didn't he talk about possibly doing, is it Parasite for this covers album? Yeah. That'll be really neat, oh. especially if, if, if he has the right people in studio with him. All right, Ken, I got a
2: boogie. I know. All right, we'll see. You. All right, here's take a care, tissue. <laughs> bye bye. See ya. Right. I got a boogie. Here's a tissue. Okay. A tissue. Tissue. I get it. Uh, yeah, well, kiss you. That would enunciate, enunciate, enunciate. <laughs> so, so there's a new uh, there's a new kiss product idea. When you kiss need to blow your tissues. nose, it's a kiss, kiss tissues. Kiss you. Yeah. I don't suffer from your kiss shoes. <laughs> oh, brother.
4: One thing that I was going to add in, I would like to hear. I'm going to put this suggestion right out there. He should do Lipstick and Leather by Y&T. Imagine those background <laughs> vocals because Lipstick and Leather, but you got to say it as Ace. That's Lipstick one of the songs and that. Leather. That's you a should to enunciate the shit out of that song. But, you know, the first time I heard that <laughs> song, which I got into Y&T kind of late because that's like their third or fourth album, was... On Headbangers Ball, they had the live version of that, and it sounded to me like an early Kiss song because it had that great kind of background vocal, lipstick and leather. Plus, the fact if it turns anybody onto some classic Y and T, even better.
0: Well, what I would like to see is a band album. You know, a real band record with Richie Scarlet and uh, who's playing bass with him right now? Chris Wise. But, he's uh, from uh, the cult. Make a band record and even do a Freely's Comet reboot. And, you know, that's what I would like to see, but that's not going to happen. But uh, covers out, I don't think is a good idea at all.
2: Well, I'm just glad to see Ace happy and healthy. Seems like he's got his head on straight. Just want to see a smile on the guy's face. Take the sunglasses off occasionally too, bro. Same for you, Gene. Uh, <laughs> Did
1: anybody see George Jensen? <laughs>
2: Matt, I believe you and Andrew saw Ace this year. Can you give us a little rundown? Matt, we'll start with you.
4: You know what I saw Ace at the Keswick Theater, Glenside, PA. It was the night before Thanksgiving. I thought it was fantastic. I mean, first of all, right off the bat, there was a ton of people that I knew. It was it had that vibe of the most fun. It's all the Kiss fans that you've seen at concerts for years and years and years, and everybody knows each other from their you know selfie on Facebook. It was great to actually meet and hang out with a lot of people. I mean, it was really like I talked about it. I think on the December Kiss room, how many? people that I knew, that I saw. That was the most fun. It was a great set. I mean, they opened it up, we rip it out. I mean, it's like right off the bat. I mean, and there was a nice mix of songs Classic kind of KISS songs. There's a bunch of it was rip it out right into Give Me a Feeling and Toys. So he's representing old school Kiss. He's representing his newer stuff. They did Parasite, they did Snowblind, which was great because it snowed that day, and everybody was kind of pissed that the weathers were bad. And, but we all went out, you know what I mean? Obviously, they did Love Gun, like I said. I mean, obviously, Scott Coogan on the drums handled a lot of the vocals for that would be Paul Stanley vocals. And it was fantastic. You know, and Richie Scarlet was singing Breakout, and I think Richie and Ace have a good dynamic together. I think, you know, that really they work very well. You could Google the set list. I mean, it was really like almost the greatest hits. I mean, he's doing Strange Ways and Rock Soldiers. And of course, he's got the flaming guitar going. And, you know, it's uh, I thought it was fantastic. It was a great night. The vibe was cool. Like I said, there was so many people. I mean, some of the places you read, he showed up late, you know, or he was late you know, I guess a couple of times he was like an hour and a half late. He started on time for us and we had a great time. I and mean, I went with my brother. So, really, anytime I go anywhere with my brother, we're going to have a good time. Every song was good. You know, like, I mean, he didn't pull out anything that would really, I think, surprise you. I thought it was fantastic. So, I thought it was one of the best nights that I had out in uh, 2014.
2: Andrew? Well,
3: anyone who's listened to the podcast knows that we interviewed Scott Coogan right when he announced that he was going to be touring with Ace's band. Based on that interview, I struck up a relationship with Scott, and he invited me out to the show that they were playing in Atlantic City, New Jersey, at the Music Box, which is in the Borgata Casino. So it was cool, I was glad to be invited down to the show, and I got there, and immediately I realized that this was an extremely disorganized event. I think Ace was supposed to start at maybe 8 o'clock or something like that, and I could be wrong at the exact time, but he didn't go on to like 9.15. And basically what happened is Ace got to the venue late, and he was late in taking care of all his VIPs because I think there was about 50 or 60 people who paid to meet Ace and got to you know get a picture of them and meet him backstage. So he was late doing that. By the time he got you know through all the VIPs, he got on stage late, which he ended up cutting his set list. So I think he only played like 12 or something songs.
1: Wow.
3: So the whole event had a very disorganized feel. The merchandise was extremely lacking. He was still selling the same shirts they sold on the Rocket Ride tour and. There was a No Regrets t-shirt for 2011. And there was really nothing that I saw that was like, hey, wow, that's, that's pretty cool. So there was one Space Invader shirt, but everything else was from the Anomaly Tour. Mm. Still selling the, still selling Farewell Tour guitar picks. How many of those do you have if you're still selling them You know, 15 years later? Yeah. So after the show, I went back and I, I was hanging out with Scott, Chris, and, and Richie. And they were saying, yeah, they, they had to cut the show quite a bit because the casino had a curfew. So they had to meet that curfew. And we've all heard the curfew spiel from Paul that he said on the 2012 tour. So here Ace was suffering from the very same thing. And I kind of thought to myself, I'm like, well, if you know that you have paying customers and you need to be there at a certain time and you're playing a certain amount of songs and why arrive late and why, why, rush the VIP people that are paying pretty good money to, to meet you. So, you know, it, it's been well publicized. It was There was several threads on the FAQ about it, several threads on other Ace pages about it, that even though Ace showed up late, he was still very, very nice and very, very accommodating to all the people that were there. Look at Kiss. They have the, the golden, you know, cookie-cutter, mold on what you should do for your meet and greets everything is ultra organized and everything is ultra well run with ace it wasn't really that everybody was rushed through the show started late can you imagine if kiss went on late yeah or, never or can you imagine again. if kiss arrived to a venue late we never hear the end of it so my thing is that yes ace was very gracious people had a great time ace was playing better than he's ever played but the whole event was just extremely disorganized and that just kind of took that kind of took me out of the whole thing because i'm sitting Waiting and just waiting for Ace to go on. I'm like, when is Ace going to go on? So, and I'll relate, there's really no excuse for that.
4: Well, you know what? Don't you think, in some ways, and it's obviously we all spend enough time on the internet to know that people are always fighting Ace should be in Kiss and this and that he's not built for being on time i think you know like uh, i think that's the difference is you know he doesn't necessarily want to show up and meet everybody i mean he's nice enough when he goes through but the meet and greets and doing stuff like that he's not as into that as like maybe paul and gene are he just wants Once to then. come do a show but you know what i'm saying like i think in a lot of ways it speaks to what the argument of oh a should be a kiss but like you said you can't you can't start an hour and a half late when you're kiss
3: so, right. if Ace doesn't want to do these things or if he's going to arrive late to these things, don't take people's hard earned money if you're not going to give them the bang for their buck. It's like, you know, we all have jobs here. Imagine if you were like, hey, you know what, boss, I, I do my work, but I'm not going to show up on time. Oh, right. You probably wouldn't have a job very long. So, and I know this tour didn't last very long. I know there were some dates that sold out and some dates that didn't sell very well. There was no promotion on this tour. So, I was like, Ace was going out, but there was no promotion. So, why go
2: out if you're not going to promote? What do you think about this idea? A lot of people thought that the Joker didn't necessarily fit on Space Invader. Do you think it would have worked as a live track since he did not play that, and that was the song that they were pushing towards radio?
3: It might have because, like I mentioned before on the album roundtable, songs like Give Me a Feeling and Toys, I think they sounded better live than they did on the studio. There was this this energy.
2: Well, I just imagine a bunch of Ace and Kiss fans uh, with a few beers in them all singing joker with ace i think that could have been a fun fun time
3: yeah and then he's saying you know some people call me space ace the fans are like oh god space ace oh god curly <laughs> you know
1: yep. but you know
4: you talk about that having a couple beers in the place was going crazy mm-hmm. you know they did strange ways i mean like you know it was phenomenal and it's like i liked the fact that he mixed in a lot of kiss songs they popped the crowd for sure and it, i thought it was a good mix of songs
2: Well, this concludes our discussion on Space Invaders and the Space Invader Tour. Up next for Ace, Australia Live. So check out Ace on the road. And Ace, whatever you're doing, the podcast loves you, the Kiss Room loves you, and we're glad that you're still with us. See you on the next podcast.
0: And that is our show. Thanks again for listening. Be sure to check us out on the web at
2: www.podcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook and on iTunes. If you'd like to contact the podcast, please drop us a line at podkiss at gmail.com. Big thanks to Julian and everyone
0: at kissfaq.com. They've got great
2: information there and a
0: terrific message
2: board, too. Thanks also to Keith LaRue and everyone else at Kiss Online for their great work representing the hottest band in the land. And as always, a big thanks to Paul Stanley, Gene Simmons, Ace Fraley, Peter Criss, Vinnie Vincent, Bruce Kulick. Eric Singer, Tommy Thayer, and the memory of the late, great Eric Carr, and the late, great Mark St. John, you are KISS, and we are your Army.
0: Podcast is created by the KISS Army for the KISS Army, and it is available for free as an internet download. If you like what you hear on our show, go buy it and support the people who made it. Podcast is not affiliated with KISS or any of its members past or present. On behalf of myself, Ken, and the whole rest of the Podkiss crew, Thank you for listening to Podcast, the KISS fanzine for your ears.
4: This is a test of the emergency broadcasting system. A nuclear bomb has gone off down the street from you. Piss off, it's like,
2: We're calling to speak with Ken Mills. <laughs> your call is important. Please wait for a human. You know.
4: Skynet is now self-absorbed. <laughs>